Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very, very special Sunday mailbag edition, even as special in 2023 as it was in 2022, because that's how we roll. I say we. I am, of course, talking about myself. I'm Scott Phillips. I'm the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer. He is the better looking of the two of us, which is not very hard, but let's go with that. <laughs> he is, of course, Andrew Page, the Managing Director and Founder of Strawman.com, which is a... Um, uh, a uh, one of these days, I live in what hope. What is it, Andrew? I live in hope. Private online investment club, as <laughs> you well right. know. As you well I, know. I may. I may. Don't give up the theater. It's like a pantomime, isn't it? He's behind you. <laughs> anyway, I, you know what? I think if we didn't do it up, our listeners would be disappointed. I'm, I'm, only, I'm only happy the feedback we get references that joke. My reference to the podcast machine and a couple other things. And I think, you know what? I'm a simple man, mate. That's all I need. It's all I need is the occasional, you know, rep- the recognition of a bad dad joke. That's, you know. That, and that's what it is. It is absolutely a dad joke, but I've, I've got really, a lot of time really for dad jokes. So it's okay. I appreciate that. Thank you, mate. Oh, I, best dad joke I've heard for a long time. Okay, here I've got, I've, got to do, I've got to do two parts, right? Okay. So, um, uh, uh, child. Dad, can you tell me what a solar eclipse is? Me. No, son. <laughs> Very good. Isn't it took that great? me It took me a beat. It took me a beat. That's what's great about it. And even even my young bloke laughed at it. So I think that's a that's a that's a pretty good dead joke. Well, I have, to, I, right. have to, I have to give you one now because I heard. This okay, yeah, day. please. Maybe you got one. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm writing a book on staircases. All right. It's, yeah, it's a it's a step by step guide. <laughs> all right, we've just lost oh, we can do three quarters day. of our audience. So oh, yeah. you no, mate. They are they. That I'm I'm expecting a torrent of requests for a special dad joke podcast. Okay. If you want to hear more, no. Careful what you no. ask for, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, you, we both love it. Let's, let's not pretend. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, we shan't be doing that. We will do instead a mailbag episode. Uh, I actually, I want to take a half a step back. I want to, I want to uh, break, the, break the whole idea for a second because in, in internet time, it's been a day and a half since our last podcast. In real time, or maybe that's fake time here, which internet time is these days, uh, it's been about eh, a couple of hours since we last chatted. In the meantime, inflation came in at 7.8%. Dead. Um, travel, massive. Uh, yeah. Luckily, discretionary, but massive. Rents, massive. Electricity, 13%. Mm. Massive. Mm. Uh, 7.8% overall. Any hot takes, as the cool kids say these days? I haven't actually dug into it yet. Um, sure. But, you know, the obvious so what is probably a higher chance of, of more interest rate yeah. uh, increases. Yeah. Um, more than more than the market expected, less than the RBA was forecasting. Uh, yeah, anyone's guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, I mean, these things are hard to predict. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll cut the forecasters some slack. But it's, geez, it's a high pace. And, yeah, really um, I mean... It's it's a it's an incredibly tough job to distill an entire economy's prices to mm. one figure, mm. yes. because what you spend your money on will be different to what I spend my mm. money on, which will be different mm. to other people, and so it's all average. They change the basket over time because you know it doesn't make sense to have fax machines in the basket anymore, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, uh, I've seen only dad jokes are eternal, mate. Only dad jokes. That's exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you've summed up nicely, mate. Um, I, so we talked about um, 
in the, on Friday, we talked about the discretionary and non-discretionary components, and they, the ABS breaks it out, which is nice. Discretionary inflation, I'll say only because that's the word we're living in the moment, only 7.1%, non-discretionary 8.4%. So those things we can't avoid. Uh, avoid. Whoa, spit it out. Avoid, but also mm. afford, as it turns mm. out, mm. Um, are, getting, are getting much higher. Uh, I, I'm still, because I'm an optimist, mate, you know this. Um, they actually put a graph in of the um, petrol price. Oh, sorry. And what's really nice about that is if you look at the the quarterly numbers, um, the last bump up was actually, it was in the June quarter, but it was largely March and April. So kind of, if you kind of look ahead, petrol hasn't really increased in the last, or hasn't increased, it's actually decreased in the last nine or 10 months. Mm. Uh, so as we roll on that, that will help. Um, yep. So I... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to promise anything. I don't. I don't, I don't do predictions. As you say. I'm hopeful it might be the beginning of the end. I'm hopeful mm. that we cycle on some of those big one-offs that really did hurt and hurt like buggery. Um, not to say they're not going to hurt anymore because they're permanently higher, right? We talked about that on Friday. But yeah. uh, the the rate of inflation, the rate of increases, hopefully, uh, may come back a little bit more. So I, yeah, look, put me down as hopeful um, without being you know confident. Um, but mate, rent's still sky high. Electricity still sky high. Food still sky high. We saw Woolies and Coles out last week with um, was it earlier this week with nine point two percent food inflation. Mm. Um, so you know there's there's more to come. The, the biggest challenge for all of us, but the biggest challenge for the RBA is just it's the feedback loops, right? It's the yes, it might have started with with petrol and you know gas prices and wheat in global markets, but eventually it becomes you know the the cost of cardboard boxes for the local, you know, cafe. Yeah. Um, those second and third order impacts, the, the virtuous and what can be, in this case, vicious cycles of, of prices feeding you other costs. You know, my price is your cost, your cost is my price, and so mm, on and so forth. Mm, mm. Um, those things those things keep going up. So, yeah, yeah. mate, it's, um, it's a tough one. I, I think it's, it's interesting to ask the question, how do we not have any, inf- virtually no inflation mm. for the longest mm. period of time? And, and then, of course, we have, I'm talking decades, right? It's just really yeah. just always sat within that comfortable little band of 2 to 3%. And then, you know, <laughs> up until recently yeah. at the lower end of that. And it confounded, yeah, right. it confounded a lot of people. And, and, and the reason was, you know, back all the way to the, to the GFC, we just saw incredible amounts of stimulus. And everyone was sort of saying, well, how do you pump that much money into the economy and not have higher prices? And I think there's, there's obviously a lot of, detail under the surface here. I think the, the yeah. big big structural factors to answer that, I think one was globalization. We just outsourced Huge. everything to China. Massive, massive, massive. Yeah. You know, so everything was cheaper. And so yep. and and then at the same time we we had ongoing and significant technological advances. I mean this is what productivity mm-hmm. does. It enables us for one unit of production, whatever that unit mm-hmm. might be, mm-hmm. to to do much more with with much less. And that that translates all else being equal, into cheaper prices. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back in the day, you would have had to get a hoe and then, you know, hoe the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you drive an air-conditioned tractor it's with satellite GPS mm-hmm. and, and the rest in laser-guided, you know, <laughs> uh, robot drivers and the rest. So just like, gosh, that 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 is technology is always a mm-hmm. deflationary force. It's why I can yes. buy a big flat-screen TV for a fraction of what I could have, you know, 10, 15 uh, years ago. So, so you've kind of had all these sort of, so while it may have been true that there was a lot more money slash sloshing about, it was also competing with those very, very big structural factors. 
Um, I think the other thing that people overlooked, I know I certainly do, I did, I'll put my hand up for this, is that there's a difference between, you know, people just like to make, the old meme is, you know, money printer go burr, you know, and, yeah. and the, the IBA and the Fed are just printing all of this cash. But none of that money really made it into the real economy. Like, yeah. I mean, let's face it, when you do quantitative e easing, it's just a, it's an asset swap on the balance sheet. Banks balance sheets, of yeah, banks, yeah. yeah. They, they yep. take their yep. bonds, uh, which is an asset, and they swap it mm -hmm. for cash, uh, yep. which is an asset. But if they don't lend that money out, it never makes it into the real economy. The only way that those mm -hmm. kinds of things get, get to you and I is if there's government handouts, you know, that goes directly into our bank account. We saw some of that. So that's a big recently. So that's that's why it was it was um, uh, more there. Or or the banks choosing to, to lend more. And mm -hmm. just it just didn't really happen. That, that was a real psychological hit to the banks after the GFC. So they, they actually pulled pulled their heads in a little bit in terms of their lending. So there was a lot more money around. So where did all that money go? Well, it went into asset prices <laughs> is where yeah. it went. It went into housing and right. it went into shares and like, yep. you know, housing exploded and, and, and so did equity markets. Uh, this time, what's, what's different? Um, well, geopolitically, everyone's onshoring, mm. reshoring, friendshoring, you know, so yeah. everyone's pulling out of China. Apple's famously pulling out of China. Um, and that's that's done for strategic reasons, but you know yep. that's, there's going to there's going to be uh, uh, costs with that. And a lot of the stimulus we have seen has actually made its way in, in, into the real economy. So I think I'm I, I'm like you. I, I'm not mm. doom and gloom. I don't think inflation is going to stay at these levels forever. As I've said before, I, I find it hard to see it going back to that two to three percent band while while those while those factors are in play. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll see. It's, it's a horrible term, but may, maybe we're at at a, at a new normal, and maybe we will look back at that period as as more the aberration than than what we're entering into now. And uh, just speak to your parents, you know, speak to the, speak speak to the boomers. They'll they'll happily tell you at length <laughs> the uh, the inflation and interest rate environments that they were operating under, and 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 you know maybe maybe we see a little bit more of that. So I think it's going to be a bit. I think it's going to be a bit harder going, whether you're an investor or just a just an ordinary person. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good one. But let's get back to let's get back to what we're here for, which is actually answer our members' questions rather than ones I'm just throwing at you. Let's go for one from Andy, who says, "Hi, Scoot and Drew. I guess they're new nicknames. I'm like sure. It. Firstly, thank you for the great program and the content you provide. It's it's great to hear such neutral, unbiased views on the markets and macro conditions. Thank you, mate. Oh. Uh, I thought I, I, I thought I was I, being extremely biased, but I'll I'll have to ramp it up a notch. <laughs> uh, the fact that he doesn't realize is not the I, I, I must he says I'll try my best not to give away my youth by saying I'm aged somewhere between 21 and 23 he says brackets I know you despise us younger listeners Scott lol I do despise you with an absolute passion Andy what I wouldn't give for 25 or 30 years back uh, all jokes aside he says with great youth comes great immaturity I'll add that if I discover this podcast before I dipped into the market, I'd be more likely in a better position with my portfolio. How good are recently listed IPOs that my 20-year-old self believed could bag could 10 bag returns in a few years, consisting of a fantastic vision, an average balance sheet, bless his little cotton socks. Anyways, mm -hmm. it's been a real eye-opener, says Andy, and probably a good mistake to make early with a few hundred bucks. You're absolutely yep. right. I'll also add, I've been chucking some funds into the Vanguard Global ETF. Uh, you go, oh, Andy. The beloved Vanguard chart is on my bedroom wall to remind me to keep invested. Good man. See, I don't hate you at all. That's You've awesome. saved yourself. Mm. Uh, as a bit of a backup, he says, in case I completely blow up my capital in some of the individual businesses I now invest in. Which brings, my, to me, which brings me to my question. 
on one of the companies I hold, which is Medcash. Hmm. Uh, all the analysts seem to refer to it as the owner and supplier of IGA stores. I know it's highly unlikely they can steal a great deal of market share from the big boys, uh, although food sales seem to be growing at a steady rate of about 3 to 4%. But I believe the gem of this business is the acquisition of Total Tools. I'm an apprentice cabinet maker and trying to use Peter Lynch's rules of know what you own and try to discover and use your natural edges. This brought me to this company as they have a large range and great customer incentives. It seems every time they release results, the sales in the total tools arm have increased substantially. Looking at the last report, hardware has actually exceeded food when it comes to underlying operating profit. Is there a chance I have too much company bias towards Metcash and I'm missing the big picture? Or has this grown, has growth already been priced in with a PE of around 12? Or are these examples of the sorts of companies the markets can misprice by not looking deep enough? Maybe a stretch of the imagination, but referring to previous podcasts, Andrew's views on Brickworks and Scott, your views on Sol Pats. Could you maybe elaborate on how you both value companies that have more than one segment? Hmm. My apologies for the long question. I hope it can bring some value to our my fellow listeners. Thanks so much again for the great pods. Full on and stay straw sharp. Hmm. That's from nice. that's from the Andy that I hate because he's twenty two, but I love because he's got the Vanguard chart on his wall. We'll call that a we'll call that a uh, call it a wash. <laughs> um, mate, it's a really good question, right? Because yeah. I I think he's absolutely right. People will say, "Oh, Metcash, yeah, the one that supplies IGA," and then you talk about Woolworths and Coles and Costco and Aldi, and all of a sudden you're moving on to something more interesting and more exciting and more you know impressive they do have a good hardware segment mate, and a good auto segment they did some deal with person back in the day i think for me i can't remember what the story was there anyway mm. uh this is an interesting one i i will confess i think their grocery business is toast in time um because they're a supplier you they're, they're, they're living on volume right you know they don't have pricing power they charge a, a flat rate per per box or per per dollar of of, of sales and unless iga grows trying to grow with a shrinking customer base is tough. So I reckon that's that's difficult. But I do reckon there is absolutely a place for an independent supplier of hardware and tools. And I am not surprised to see hardware actually exceeding food underlying profit. Now I'm gonna talk about some of my mouth here. The, 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 the different segments that Andy refers to, I think is a really important question. Mm. But I will also say I made a colossal mistake with Telstra back in the day. And I did the whole, Landlines are dying, but mobile internet's growing. And at some point, mobile internet will be bigger than than, than fixed lines. So when that happens, yeah, market hates the, the, the fact that it's lower margin, it's smaller, but eventually when it gets bigger, it'll grow faster and there's some growth here, this will be great. Mm. I still think, by the way, the thesis was roughly right. My mistake was expecting it to happen too quickly and not realizing the full value of what they were losing with the landline business couldn't be really made up for. And frankly, they've spent 10 years treading water desperately trying at a glacial pace to make this change to become this new wave growth business i think mm. they'll get there i think the, i think the thesis was roughly right in terms of the, the the facts and what will happen in time what i completely screwed up was that transition so i think andy's andy's right i'm going to say andy i haven't looked at metcash super super closely but i don't love a business if it's let's let's say hardware's exceeded food so let's just say 55 45 just for the fun of it i don't know what the actual numbers are i haven't looked um uh, that means 45% of it's still exposed to what I think is probably a shrinking business over time. So Andy, I personally wouldn't be buying Metcash myself at this point. Now, I, I, as I said, I, I haven't looked at it closely, so don't. this is not a, uh, a formal recommendation or even an informal recommendation, it's just a thought. Um, I'm not super keen on it because, while it might be most of the business anymore, 
a very, very large chunk of it is still food and I don't love the food business. And I think if I could buy them separately, I would. Uh, but almost to your point, mate, if I could buy the total tools business at 12 times earnings, sounds like a great business from what you're saying and you would know it. This is what I love about the scuttlebutt method of Peter Lynch, as you say. Um, you know it, you like it, they're doing a great job. If I get, if I spin off total tools, I'll probably be really interested from the sound of it. But um, but I, I, it, the, the millstone of food is just too big to my mind. If I was paying five, six times earnings, I'd probably go, okay, well, you know, food's nothing, therefore leave it alone. Uh, but if food does continue to fall, then the real PE is probably 13, 14, 15, and even then you've still got food going backwards. So it's hard It's hard for me to say it's probably worth buying as much as I'd love to say it is. Um, that's my take, mate. What do you about yours? So, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, Medcash has been around forever. And when yeah. I got into this game 20 years ago, uh, the narrative was the same. The food business is toast. Yep. Um, but... Well, here we are 20 odd years later yeah, right, and it's exactly. still going. I noticed in their recent yep. Prezo, I just brought it up, the three-year percentage growth in food sales has been 20%. So at least nice. in the last three years, it's been growing well. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. And you know, and then the, the big the, the, the big part of the narrative was, well, it wasn't, it wasn't just Coles and Woolies, but now you've got Aldi and Costco and you know, yeah. Lidl was coming at one stage, wasn't it? And so it, was, it was sort of like... They just, they just can't compete. But credit where it's due, they have managed to survive um, that entire time. So I do err towards your, your viewpoint, although I'm probably tempered a little bit in the pace of decline. It'll probably be a slow, painful death. Um, yes, I agree with that. You, you know, so it'll, it'll, it'll linger yeah. for a while. What's really interesting is just looking at their, their half-year results that Andy referenced um, – Mm. Yeah, so food's 53% of, mm. of revenue. Uh, it's 44. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me start again. <laughs> Hardware is 20% of revenue, mm -hmm. but the underlying EBIT, so the operating profit before you take out tax and interest charges, was 44%, by far yeah. the biggest segment. They, so, should, they should flog off the food business if they could find someone stupid enough to take it. I mean, oh, think wow. about capital efficiency, right? They're yeah. a massive amount of, massive amount of volume and, and value for not much profit compared to this other business, which is much smaller but much more profitable. Oh, margins, that, you know, that's, that's, mm -hmm. that is a business that you, you can get, what do they get, uh, $1.7 in sales and they get to mm -hmm. keep $116 million in, in pre-tax profit. That's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, the thing, so I, I'm... I, I'm very partial to growth as an mm -hmm. investor, and I think with all the things that we discuss, growth is going to going to be hard to, to sort of to come by. And in fact, when I sort of look at the analyst forecast for whatever that's worth, probably not much. Uh, but for whatever it's worth, they're sort of calling yeah, pretty much flat over the next mm -hmm. few years. There's nothing wrong with a a, a, a flat business at a cheap enough price. Yes, yes. You know, if it was, let's, let's be stupid here, let's say it was one time's earnings, well, it's like I make my money back in the first year and everything's gravy <laughs> after that. And I think that's where things get interesting with Metcash, just looking at some of the figures here. I mean, it wasn't that long. You go back five or six years, this thing was trading at a price earnings multiple of six because of all yeah. of these sort of narratives that were going around. It's like, well, and the argument was growth is over. But again, it's like, well, hang on. That I can still do very well, particularly particularly <laughs> one that's paying out um, a good percentage of their their earnings in dividends. I can Absolutely, still do yeah. pretty well out of that. Yeah. Um, so okay, we t we touched on rates at the start of the hour and expectations for sort of higher for longer kind of narrative. It, it it is it is seemingly cheap when you look at the current earnings multiple of Metcash. I see it on my screen at least at the moment at about thirteen. You know that's. Mm -hmm. 
that's not zero or WiseTech yeah. or maybe they don't even have PEs actually, but they're not, they're not, they're not these, you know, lofty, yeah. lofty yeah. earnings multiples, but it's yeah. still at the upper end for a post growth business, at least on aggregate, notwithstanding the parts within that, mm. that growing. Mm. So it, it feels cheap when you look at averages, it, mm. it's probably not that, I'm not saying it's hyper expensive. I'm not saying that at all, but it, it's, it's certainly not as cheap as it may otherwise appear. Um, it's not my it's not my um, style, but I tell you what, if this got to a single digit PE, I think mm. that's when things get a lot a lot more interesting because again, you're just mm. not reliant on on all of that growth. So, you were the one I think first introduced me to the this idea that growth covers a lot of sins when it comes <laughs> to valuations, and I love yeah, it's always stu- stuck with me because. We always try and sort of thumbsuck a valuation. When, when you're doing it with a very, very mature business, a Metcash, a Telstra, you want to be pretty sure you're right um, be, because if, if, if you're not, you're, you're, you're probably going to lose a lot of your money. When it comes to a company that's growing very fast, if it ends up growing, you know, you look back in five years and it sort of compounded its earnings at 26%, you know, if you were, if you were expecting 28% or 30% or, you know, yeah. you can be really roughly right on that and you're still going to do really well as an investor. Yeah. So, so just, it just, all I'm saying is by all means, and again, I'll, I'll put my hand up. I, I have not looked at this closely in a long, 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 long time, <laughs> but I, 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 I think that for me, I would need to see a really cheap price and then I would get, get a lot more interest. I just don't think it's cheap, even though it, it does look so at, at first glance. Yep. I agree. Matt. I'm going to add one quick thought because we need to move on, but just the only thing I want to say is you talk about slow decline, and that's absolutely true. But I would encourage again. This it's hard to do pictures on Ray on audio format, but you don't have to go down too far before the whole thing becomes uneconomic, mm. and it comes down to the fixed costs you've got, right? So for many yeah. businesses, particularly in retail, right, if your sales in retail fall by ten percent, you're unprofitable. Mm. Generally speaking, because these are low margin businesses, high fixed costs, you can't take costs out quickly enough to make money. And all I would say, I don't, I'm not saying this about cash necessarily, but just be careful because a slow decline in revenue can get to the point reasonably quickly. Uh, now, you said it's been 20 years since people told it was said it was dead. So I'm not suggesting you're wrong about Metcash necessarily, but I just want to just not even about Metcash, just for anyone thinking about it. You, you know, if you lost 1% a year, so oh, I've got 100 years worth of sales before I go broke. It's probably true, but mm. you may only have 10 years of, of, of you know, sales before the business goes broke because those fixed costs don't go away. You can't take out the lights, yeah. the rent, the whatever else is. So just, just be a little bit careful with that. Uh, profits generally fall faster than sales when they go backwards uh, and they can go to zero much more quickly well, by definition than revenues. So just be a little bit careful with that as I'll, well. I'll highlight, that's an excellent point. I mean, think of a business that's on a, a 2% margin and the margin goes to mm-hmm. 1%. Yeah. Right. You, your profit drops in half. You know, it, it, it's it's big. It doesn't be I two one percent. They're both pretty low. It's like no, it's huge. I have actually yeah. seen examples of business very low margin businesses doing extremely well because they managed to go from two point three to two point seven or something. Oh like yeah. What, yeah, What's the difference? Is actually that's a huge difference. Yeah, um, yeah. And the well, other Willis, point, I, doubled. Went, it's, Willis margin went from four percent to six percent. That was yeah. a fifty percent growth in profit on the same sales. I mean, think of yes. that. That's phenomenal. Sorry, it's phenomenal. Whereas a company yeah. that on a twenty eight percent margin that goes to thirty percent, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong but it's not nowhere yep. near as good. The other thing is, is that, um, so if I referenced before where it was trading at in 2016, mm. actually mm. got, actually now I'm looking at the chart now, it's 2015, it got to a $1.05. So wow. anyone who bought then on this slow mm. post-growth <laughs> business has made a 300% return. Mm. It's, it's now $4. So you, you've 4X'd your money in that kind of business. 
So that is, again, a price matters. The, the difference, the, the thing I would, would state here, though, is that, you know, you know me, Scott, um, and I know you, we're not traders. <laughs> and I'm certainly not going to advocate buy, sell, buy, sell. <laughs> but I think if, if, if the thesis, if you are prosecuting a deep value thesis, that is an ordinary business, but at a very attractive price, Fine, and we've just—I've just given the example of how incredibly well you can do when, when you get that right. I mean, heck, even if you miss the bottom and you bought it at two dollars, you've still doubled your money. The the thing you've got to remember is that you you probably want to sell that once the thesis once that value gap has has been has has been closed. Not because you're a super clever trader or anything like that, but just because the thesis your thesis was this is too cheap, earnings multiples will probably normalize at some point. And and it happened. It happened. Mm. So sell out. It, un, unless you yes, think yes, that yes. that is still there, yep. you, um, that 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 potential is still there. The, the 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 thesis that you bought on is no longer relevant. In fact, it's completely evaporated. Good on you because you've made money. But but too often mm-hmm. we get that endowment effect where it's like, oh no no, I'm going to stick with it because I've done this well out of it. So I, I I I would be careful with that. Now, if you're talking about a I don't know a Prometicus or whatever, some business that's just growing insanely well, or an Amazon to use the classic example. That's a stupid idea. You know, whenever the growth outlook remains super strong, whether you're up two, three, four, five hundred percent, that's don't sell on on that basis because it may well be that share prices go up a lot and things still stay cheap, or maybe they're even cheaper in some circumstances. But I just want to make that point because sometimes we all we muddy we muddy our reasons for holding mm. the stock. The initial, initial reason was yes, too cheap, right. and and then it's crazy. no longer cheap, but I'm still holding, and it's like, well, it doesn't make any sense to hold anymore. So just beware of that. Nailed it. Thank you, mate. Uh, let's go to a question from Rich. He said, gents, I listened to the latest mailbag. I had a possible solution to the market game, the share market game. Mm. Instead of using real-time data and focusing the game on short time frames, i.e. the length of the class, why don't, use a ra- why don't use randomized historical data? Each week or whatever time interval could represent a year or a quarter, etc. Granted, there'll be more work on the instructor to determine what time periods to use and figuring out individual companies to use, make sure the company existed during the appropriate time intervals, for example. But that should help move the folks away from day trading. Maybe I'm oversimplifying the thought process, but what do you guys think? As always, love the pod and what you guys do for making the world smarter, happier, and richer. Full on rich. Thank you, mate. Very kind. What do you reckon, mate? Would that solve the problem? Yeah, go a long way. I love the idea, Rich. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, it, 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 is going to get you to, particularly if you remove a lot of the the, mm. the noise, which is just the day to day sort of fluctuations in price, and you're just getting the students to sort of say, "Hey, here's a here's a bunch of information about some anonymized company. What do you you know? Here's, here's a handful. What do you like? And then you just roll that forward each week. You get to sort of time travel to the next rep- and then say, "Do you still want it? Do you still like it? I mean, you have to give a price or a multiple at some point, so there's a valuation consideration to it, but. I think it's fantastic. I think it's. I think it's. It focuses you on the right things. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of that. I, I, I like it a lot. Can I give you an example? I have heard. Please. Uh, this is. This is going to get a lot of hate mail. So I'm sorry in advance, but I can't help <laughs> to to put the boot into the odd chart. Andrew Page. P. <laughs> there was. There was. Um, uh, you you can do that with with chartists, right? Because you can always show it. Here's a, here's a price chart. I'm not going to tell you what company it is, but you right. can go backwards in time and say, what would you do here? What would you do here? What would you do here? They've they've done a bunch of experiments mm. on this, 
And the results are not encouraging, uh, you know, because you can roll up. I mean, I can say anything. Oh, look at this closing triangle teacup pattern, blah, blah, blah. It's going to do this. And right, you know, I just get out of jail free by saying, oh, no, I would have had a stop loss or that. Or, you know, some, some kind of um, uh, approach that they use. And, yes, I know there's probably some people out there that have been okay at it. As, uh, but but on, mm. I would say for the average investor looking to spend a bunch of energy and time and focus on trying to learn something that is of value, I think you can do far better by focusing on other things. And, and, and examples just in line with what Rich was saying there has tended to show that for the vast majority of people, and a lot of experts involved in these studies too, or so-called <laughs> experts, uh, just did horribly, horribly wrong. So it's, yeah, <laughs> factoid, a little, little factoid for you. I like it. I I think it's, look, anything's better than what they've currently got, which is ridiculous. Um, I Look, I think... As always, the challenge is both the way it's played and what data they use. I think the challenge for me is just they don't necessarily do it during. It's not the class time so much, Rich. That that's the problem. It's just the duration of the of the time frame. You can use historical data and make each week a year or something, but the players still get up their gains or losses in a four week period. And so it's kind of like it's it's the experience of doing it as much as the what happens. I think you're right. I absolutely prefer your version of things. I'd happily take that. I think it's a really great idea. Um, so you know, go for it. Uh, it's better than what they've got now. It, it, playing the game itself over a longer period, I think, is probably the only solution. I said on the pod. You know, I, I was invited to take part in the, the, the four weekly share market game with the Fairfax when they used to do it in the money section. And I applied to the clients, look, I'm not interested. Um, and they did it over a year. So, do you want to take part in that one? I was like, well, yeah, I guess, because, you know, it's better than four weeks. So, it was mm. positive. Yeah. Um, you made the point last time that, you know, the astrologer tended to win that thing on the dartboard Always. Um, more often than, yeah. than they should, right? And you kind of go, okay, well, that, t- that tells you everything you need yep. to know. That the, the, the rate at which those things win is exactly the randomness of the situation. So, yeah, I, I like it. A much better, much better solution than the current one. Um, I think playing it over a longer time period, add those two together, and we're probably in a much, much better spot. Yep. Hey, um, one from Jared who says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm a relatively new listener to the Motley Fool Money podcast. Welcome. For a few months now, and I really appreciate the knowledge sharing and education I'm getting from your weekly podcast. I'm a member of your dividend investing service, which I find very informative. The dividend investing guys are doing a great job, by the way. And I've been active in the share market for a couple of years now. You may not know this, Jared, but uh, Mr. Andrew Page Esquire was the founding lead advisor of Motley Fool Dividend Investor. So he, uh, he, you know, he, he built the platform that others have uh, happily taken to even higher heights. They're doing a great job, as you say. Um, but uh, yeah, a bit of, bit of, bit of <laughs> trivia for you. Thank you. I bought, a couple, so I bought a couple of shares a long while back, he says, in my earlier 20s. BHP. Jared, if you're like 24 and you're saying a long time ago was your earlier 20s, just have a good hard look at yourself. Dude. Can I tell you, a long time is, is many decades, not just, you know, I'm tipping you're 25 or 26. Oh, a long time ago, back in my early 20s. Anyway, uh, I'll leave it there. Uh, he bought BHP Sigma Pharmaceuticals based on some share magazine recommendation, which I overpaid for. My fault, he says in brackets, I did no research and didn't understand the basics of business. Close bracket. And the losses incurred put me off share investing for a long time. And instead, I invested in property. Oh no, he says, now 15 years later at the ripe old age of 39, okay, you're off the hook. I've swung back to shares partly because the capital required in property is too high for my liking and I feel I'm better educated to invest in business. And a big part of my personal growth has come from research and learning, but also the various Motley Fool services, including this podcast. So a big thank you to you, the Motley Fool team, Andrew and the podcast. Now enough waffling from me. I'm seeking your advice on company AGMs. As a retail investor, do you believe there is any value in attending the various AGMs each year? If so, what would it be? 
I've never been to one except the companies I've worked for. And I'm wary of the corporate spin that ends up telling me nothing valuable. So in your experience, am I wasting my time in attending these? Or is this something a retail investor, oh, you're going to be in trouble with Andrew, <laughs> is something a retail investor should attend? Not sure if this question has been answered in a prior podcast, but thanks in advance for your advice. And that's from Jared. We have touched on it, mate. Give us a quick uh, summary of your thoughts. Yeah, just to explain that to retail investor, and the reason I hate it is just what the industry <laughs> calls poor. Because if you're rich, you're a sophisticated investor. No, doesn't mean you're sophisticated in any way, shape, or form. You've just got more than two million in investable assets, or you know, income over two hundred and fifty thousand. So I hate, I hate the term, and I think, it, I think it's denigrating. And a lot of this- next thing you'll tell me, Bitcoin is crypto. <laughs> yeah, it's, a whole uh, that's all. Don't get me started. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but 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 I, you know, some of the best investors I know are retail investors, and I just yeah. I just I just don't like the term. So anyway, there it is. Self-directed investor is is my preferred <laughs> term. Or just hey, how about this investor? There's a, there's Investors, an even be- exactly, yeah. better one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've forgotten the question. Now. <laughs> should, you uh, should, should you go to AGM? Oh, What's the value? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, it depends. Is my usual uh, refrain. Um, <laughs> well, well. I would. I I have been the worst AGM I ever went to was Woolies and it was a complete waste of time. It was in a huge hall. There must have been you geez, if you know, a thousand people there. And it was just little old ladies complaining about someone being rude to them at the checkout counter. You know, it just it was just completely a waste of time. Um, and you're gonna learn nothing there. And you're certainly not gonna get any chance to sort of speak to anyone. So it's a waste of time. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bother. These days they're all sort of a lot of the information sort of pre-released anyway. In some cases you can even mm. just yeah, you exactly. know, watch from the comfort of your own home and just sort of watch yeah. at three times speed on a on a pre-record. Um on the, the ASX release, often before the AGM, the, you know, the president there anyway. It's all there. It's all there. Um, that yeah. being said, small cap AGMs are great. I have been to AGMs where when you take away the staff and the investor relations people, there's like <laughs> literally three other people that are there. Yeah. And uh, you've got them. You've, you've got a captured audience and, and you, you can um, – you can really get some information that I think is valuable. Mm. It's often information that it's not that they're holding anything back. They're just releasing what they think the market wants. But so often the market doesn't know what it's bummed from its elbow kind of thing. And, mm. and it's, it's just you it's hard because it's subjective, but but you get to sort of look in the whites of the eyes. You get to sort of observe the mannerisms, just the way that they sort of talk about things. You know, little red flags for me are management teams that all they talk about is the share price and how it's going to be so so cheap. <laughs> I don't, I don't, why are you focusing on that? You know, that is, you know, I want I want to hear about how you're driving value and what the three, five-year strategy is to sort of grow, grow this business. But you pick up all of that kind of stuff um, and you get, you, you, to answer your questions, you get to give feedback. And, you know, it might not be nice feedback for them, but how they respond to that is very telling as well. So it's, it, it's not like it's a, it's a mad, you know, silver bullet to sort of get, get some, some huge easy win, but I think, it's, I think it's really valuable. And these days I, I just tend to sort of tune in because I'm a lazy bum and don't often leave the cave, but, but <laughs> you know, and I'm certainly not getting on a plane and traveling yeah, interstate yeah. for these kinds of things. But yeah, I, I, I think for, for some of them, they can be super valuable. And, and for the live stream ones as well, you can put through questions. And in fact, even outside of AGMs, you'll find a bunch of companies that actually do uh, Zoom meetings for their results and stuff. And again, you sort of get in there and there might be 30 or 40 people, but half of them are just sort of, uh, uh, investor relations and the rest of it. You, you, you've got you've got really good opportunity to ask questions, and I, I just think, why wouldn't you? If you're either an owner in this business, even albeit a small one, or a potential owner, I want to I want to know who's running my business, and I want to know what they think, how they how they present themselves, and yeah, I think it's valuable. 
Yeah, I'm going to... Look, I, I broadly agree, mate. Uh, and this is not news for people who've uh, listened to us talk about this before. My general challenge with management teams is very, 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 very few people walk away going, oh, I'm less impressed than I was before. Yeah. I'm a, suck, so I'm a sucker of, for it, by the way. Right, well, we all yeah. like that. That's the thing, mate. And, and the thing is, you know that. And that's the important thing. Because the rest of us go... No, I, I'm, I'm cold-blooded. I, I'm going to be really careful here. I'm going to ask really serious questions and make sure I understand the answers. I'm really going to... And you walk away going, oh, that was great. Mm. Oh, he's such a good guy. She's such a good girl. This is a fantastic conversation. I'm glad I'm investing in this company. I'm going to buy more shares now. Uh, we've had CEOs uh, talk to us at the Platinum events. You've had plenty at Strawman events. Um, I've been to AGMs myself. Uh, I, it, it, inevitably, I can't remember. I can remember maybe a, a handful where I've kind of gone either they were bad or... They couldn't answer the question or um, they were too ego-driven in some cases. Mm. So that can be useful, but rarely did I think the company was worse than I thought it was originally. Yeah. And so I, I, I go to very few, mate, I've got to say, and, mm. and it's largely that reason. I don't think I'm a better analyst for having attended them. Yeah. If I've got questions, I can email them through. If I want factual answers, I can get them. Even if I, but if I go to an AGM expecting, oh, I've got these factual questions. By the time you drunk the Kool-Aid for two hours, you know, um, you might, might have had the answer to your question, but you're going to walk out feeling better than you were before. Mm-hmm. And you just got to be really careful of that. You can give yourself anything. Every time you, we've been, we've both been to company, you know, those um, uh, pitch conferences where, you know, six or eight companies will get up and talk. Yeah. And most of the time you're like, oh, oh, that sounds good. Maybe we should buy shares in that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've done that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, like everything, <laughs> it depends, as you said, mate. Uh, I, despite the positives, Actually, we'll come down on a different side to you, mate. I would, I would discourage people to think overall from attending um, for that reason almost alone. Yeah. Uh, there are different ways of having factual questions answered. Uh, most store companies will happily answer any question you've got because they're so keen to hear from anybody who's investing in their shares. Um, so I, most of my communication these days with CEOs and companies is actually email, mm. um, with the exception of some company presos and stuff that we do. But that's that's generally the way. And more just seeking points of clarification, I suppose. For you Factual as, stuff, yeah. right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just I have every view, and there you go. Different. different I, do, I just I, you know, I think look, it's not that I disagree wildly with you there. I just there, there are just yeah. a little. It's like poker. You know, there's little tells in 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 That's some of the true. things. You know, it's sort of as I said before. It's what people choose to focus on. I was speaking to a <laughs> yeah. company just recently, and I said, "I, oh, you know, you've really slashed your marketing costs." I mean, because all. Mm. all companies are because that's the that's the fashion at the mm-hmm. moment um and rather yeah, than giving the usual corporate sort of spin <laughs> he said oh well, we thought it was worth a try but it just didn't work it was just a waste of money yeah. it's like wow well, that was a candid answer you know admission of mistake <laughs> well, i wouldn't even call it a mistake i mean yeah. that's what you do in business you you Correct. try things Connor, you yep. hand on heart you yep. think it's a good idea and, and often it doesn't work that's not mm-hmm. the mistake the mistake is is putting your head in the stand and, and, and barreling ahead despite all the evidence to the contrary. So, I mean, it's a very specific example, yeah. but I love, I love, yeah. I, my ears really do prick up when you see management teams are just super candid <laughs> and just cop mistakes and, yep, we did this and that was yeah. a mistake, but this is how we think we're going to fix it. And, rah, rah. And, it's, and it is about the business and how how they think that will drive value and why they're confident and what they're looking at. And it just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very subjective thing that I think comes with more and more experience. The, the hard part of it is, is when you get there, there'll be some idiot broker there. And there's always a few. And, you know, um, 
they're, they're always asking for color on the next quarterly, you know, give me 12 decimal places as to what you think the margin's <laughs> going to be. And they're just hyper, hyper specific questions. They're all just signaling to each other to show how smart they all are. But it's a little like they just miss the forest for the trees. And that, that can be infuriating. So I think they, the meetings could be like 15 minutes long and I get everything I need to know, but you've got to sit through two hours of waffle to get there. But anyway, it's, it's here's, here's, here's what I would say, rather than taking my or Scott's word for it, go along to a few. Um, and and feel it out for yourself, and, and you, you you'll uh, you, only you will know if, whether or not you feel you get any any value from that. Yep, great point. Just just be honest with yourself about yes. how, how how you're being influenced by whatever. Hundred percent. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, one from Tim, mate. He says, uh, hi there. Sorry if it's the wrong email, but here it is. No, Tim, it wasn't the wrong email. It was exactly the right email. So here's the question. Hi, Scott and Ram. He says, I hope you had a good Christmas. We did. Thank you. Yep. I did. You had a good Christmas? Yeah, it's, it's ancient history already, it feels yeah, like. Isn't it? God, I'm going fast. Yes, it was I nice. I know. We sound like old people. Thanks for the ongoing chat that keeps me coming back every week. I think this is one of the best pods out there. Hey. Incorrect, Tim. It is the best pod out there, but nice try. So please keep it up in what we most assuredly the interesting and wild year of 2023. Eat your heart out, Joe Rogan. <laughs> there you go. Uh, firstly, oh dear, dear. I'm on the younger end of the spectrum. I don't care, mate. So I missed out on witnessing big retail bricks and mortar stores like Walmart go from eight stores in 1990 to 888 stores in 2000. As Peter Lynch would say, it's great to be able to walk down the street and see what is growing and where people are shopping. Mm. Seeing such rapid growth in Walmart would have been quite amazing to see in the flesh. Whether this made a whole bunch of people invest in the story early enough is another thing entirely. Due to online shopping slash online everything, do you think this Peter Lynch style growth story is more difficult to see? Yes, everyone could gather that everyone else was using Facebook, but another jump again to realize how much advertising revenue will be worth in the future. Mm. What are your thoughts on this change and whether ideas are perhaps more opaque than they used to be? This is perhaps balanced by the availability and ease of access to information and brokerage through the World Wide Web. Haven't heard that phrase for a while. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon, mate? A scuttlebutt, you know, you walk down the street, you go to the shopping centre, you can get all that sort of stuff. Is, is that dead in a, an on, online age? I'm such a huge fan of Peter Lynch. He was 80 years old last week. Um, there you go. Uh, you that, Peter. Just one of the greats. He doesn't he doesn't get enough attention. And, and like Buffett, he's just super quotable and he's just got so many <laughs> yes. great quotes. My favourite of all time is mm-hmm. know what you own and why you own it. I just think that's... Mm-hmm. It's really my mantra, really. I think if, if, if that was any one line advice I could give to anyone, it, it's that. Know, know what you own and why you own it. Um, uh, but I think, I think this, here I'm going to try and get into the head of one of the world's greatest investors. But I think, <laughs> I think, he was, I think what he was really saying is that you, you go beyond the numbers, go beyond the presentations and go get some real world experience. So you, it, it's, yep. it's harder to do for online um, kind of yep. things, but you can still experience. You can, you can get mm-hmm. onto a website and say, wow, this is such a great experience. User experience is fantastic. I love it. I'm probably going to end up paying for this as a subscription or whatever it is. If, if you're feeling yeah. that yeah. way, there's a very good chance that, that others are too. Um, whereas you can go to some and they're just such awful experiences that you just think, you know, I mean, this is one data point out of a thousand. So you'd never make a decision on this, but I do find it informative. One of the things that I find a struggle with a lot of the companies I invest in are what they call B2B or enterprise businesses. Mm. So they're not, I'm not the customer. I never will be. I'm, I'm I'm not going to, you know, integrate some 
enterprise resource planning module <laughs> into my home <laughs> affairs. So I just, I never get that touch point. Um, and that's a, that's a challenge. When you look at yeah. businesses that I am a customer of, I'll give you one example. Um, I've got some shares in Jumbo Interactive. Um, I think their platform's excellent. You know, if you, if, I do too, actually. Yeah, it's, I, I really like, the, you know, anyway, I don't, want to, I don't want to get into a picture otherwise here. Um, please don't run out and buy anything because I said that because you, you the moment you do is the moment <laughs> it drops 50%, okay? So um, or you've been warned. But it's a, it's a nice example of before I did that because I, I thought I had some, I thought I had a good story. I thought I had some good numbers. But mm. but before I bought, I I don't I downloaded the damn app and I used it and guess what I still use it I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed to say I, I do but regularly buy lottery tickets <laughs> uh, I'll rationalise that too if you want to go down that rabbit hole but anyway um, it, it it so you can always I think you can always uh, do that another one that company that we spoke to management of last year is a, a, a relatively small company called Playside Studios they're a games developer. And uh, I'm a bit of a gamer, so you know I, I can play some of their games. Like, oh, it's a really well polished game. You know, good studio. Uh, you can jump on Steam. You can look at the reviews, the downloads, the ratings, all of that kind of stuff. I think it's. I think again, I wouldn't form it as the crux of my investment case, but yeah. you. It's a starting point. It's, right? These are these are all nothing. There's no brick and mortar anywhere here. Um, but I can still experience their product and their offering. And I think wherever mm. possible, it's 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 a worthwhile worthwhile thing to do. Yeah, I um, so a couple of things. I think uh, I'm going to be contrary just for the sake of it, just for a second. I had a mate who would never buy shares in Foster's Brewing because he didn't like VB. Mm. And I think so. There's, there's the other side of that yeah, one, right? Richie. And the scuttlebutt. What I like about scuttlebutt is you see someone else doing something. You're like they're doing a thing. There's more people doing that thing. It's not my thing, but it might be worthwhile. Yeah. We have an analyst at the Motley Fool, Andrew Leggett, who. Uh, is you know has taken a particular interest in, in luxury fashion, for example, as a potential investment opportunity. And his argument is largely that you know often the generally male, white, middle-class blokes aren't spending a lot of time there, so maybe there's an opportunity just to miss pricing. Oh, yeah. Now, whether he finds any, whether there's an opportunity, there's an open question, but he's asking the right question because he's looking beyond that. So you're right, mate, about the personal experience. Uh, corporate travel, my biggest winner at the Motley Fool, uh, humble brag, hashtag humble brag. <laughs> I, I own those shares, by the way, still. Um, came because I used it when I was working at Blackmores of all places as our travel booking system, and that made me aware of the software. And again, the, it wasn't the it wasn't the buy decision, mm. but it was the that's interesting. That works. We like it. Mm. Uh, let me look, more, look further at the company. I know what it does. I get it. Particularly um, if you'd so use some of the competing offerings or the alternate offerings that are out there, right? Right, right. So look, though, you know, those are the things. So I would say yes. Online, you can have your own experience. It's harder to see what other people are doing online. I suppose is probably Tim's point. I think there's some validity to that, Tim. Um, so, you know, you're not necessarily going to come across as much stuff that other people are doing. But I think you can also be a little bit mindful of just the zeitgeist and, and comments about that stuff. Um, I don't, I'm not a gamer, right? So I don't know any of that stuff, but I've heard of other people talking about other things and I'm just familiar enough with the companies and the ideas mm. and the things people are talking about. Hey, Fortnite, everyone's playing Fortnite. I've never played it in my life. I've not fired a shot on Fortnite. I've never opened the app or the, the site. I don't know what it does. I mean, I've seen the online videos. That's about it. Um, but... It's something I'm aware of enough to do. So I think you can, but it is harder to observe with your own eyes. So you're probably right. The flip side, though, is your point, mate, is exactly right, which is the web these days makes it possible. So mm. there's so much information. Um, I, I wouldn't... Net-net, uh, I'm probably in a better position. The flip side, of course, by the way, is it's available to everybody. So the you know you only beat the market when you do something different to the market, by definition, mm. right? Um, if they're already fairly priced, there's no point buying it. So you're still going to find the under-followed and underappreciated something, uh, to make money out of it. 
And the web does equalize that, which makes it easier for us to all to access. But it probably makes that scuttlebutt stuff of my local Westfield down at, I don't know, Miranda in Southern Sydney or Pack Fair in Queensland or wherever you live. Um, I saw this thing happening in that shop. You know, that's localized stuff. You don't get as much of that. So mm. it's net positive, I think, overall. Probably levels the playing field a bit. So maybe not as big an opportunity as it was. But yeah, unfortunately, also largely an academic question because we're not going to be able to change it or make it go away. I, just speaking of Peter Lynch, another great saying of his is, he who turns over the most rocks wins. Yeah, And cool. I love that. And and I, so just to your point, it's true it's available to everyone, but you'd be surprised at how shallow a lot of the analysis is that's out there. So it's not that... It, that's also true. You know, yeah, it's sure. not a, it's not a, it's not a guarantee. But again, I, I always view it as a scale. Mm. I've got pros and cons, mm. and I look at something. Oh, we're like, and, and and by the way, you can find the world's greatest business, and you'll find a bunch of stuff you won't <laughs> like on it. But it's just, it's another thing to weigh and and to add to the pro or or, or the con. And it just, it the, the the more that the more weight you've got on the pro side of things, just the stronger my conviction tends to be, and it's something to add. But also, another example I I think is. Um, uh, counter to what I said earlier, when Amazon, <laughs> when I first signed up for Amazon, again, Amazon in Australia, I, even today, I think their mobile site is really ordinary. It's really ordinary. And it's just, it just seems to me as like, wait a second, this is the, one of the world's biggest tech companies. I know for a yeah. fact that they spend gazillions on optimization <laughs> yeah. and the rest of it. Yeah. And it just looks like a bit of a clunky site. It looks like a 2010 yeah. site. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel like a really modern site. And yet, and yet, we know what the story is there too. So, yeah. so, so sometimes, and they would have spent a small fortune on optimizing it. So, the fact that it appears or doesn't seem yep. right, you can be absolutely sure they've tested the hell out of that thing. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 again, you're, you've got to be aware of your own um, biases as as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if if I was to sort of judge you know, what the best TV show is out there. I'm always going to get it wrong because the rubbish that sort of tends to wins all the award, well, I think it's rubbish. And yet, well, turns out everyone else loves it. So again, who, who's right there? If I'm looking at it from an investment <laughs> angle, you know, I might have, oh, yeah, no, I, yep. my tastes are far more refined and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yep, you're on your own on an island out there and everyone, yeah, exactly. everyone loves That's it, right. mate. So, you know, you're, yes, you're missing yes, the exactly. point. You rail against it, but yeah, correct. Yeah. correct. But uh, have a look, have mate, a look. I got yeah. Yeah. Uh, second question, actually, Tim snuck a second one in. I know you both tend to stick clear of resources due to the cyclical nature or perhaps early bad experiences with a penny dreadful. Mm-hmm. Don't we all have those, he says. Mm-hmm. Yet do you occasionally look back on this stance with regret? Obviously, this regret would be just as cyclical as the industry. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about your feelings towards the industry as a whole? Arguably, everything other than a supermarket is cyclical to some degree, especially Ram's growth stocks, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Is it the cyclicality or something else? that makes this sector a secondary priority. You go first, mate. Oh, phew, so much to say. It's not the cyclicality that bothers me. Um, it, yeah. it, 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 it's not, and it's not just resources. I think you can extend it to anything that's commodity-based. Airlines are a great example. An airline seat is a commodity. You know, Qantas will tell you all day long that they're better than Virgin and mm. Emirates will tell you mm. that they're better. They're, they're, I just want to get to A to B as long as I feel confident that you're not going to crash along the way. Um, for most of us, you know, unless unless you're someone who's quite well off, it, it it's just like what's the cheapest thing there? So, so they're commodities, and any any business that sells commodities has no pricing power by definition, and so your margin and any advantage you can hope to have is really just in your cost of production. Um, but 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 your margins are going to swing around all over the place depending on on what commodity prices are doing. 
So people at the moment are all getting, you know, uh, dripping with sweat and excitement over lithium because the world is electrifying. And they're right. The world is electrifying. And there's not enough lithium uh, available on the market to meet that demand. So prices... Every time someone says electrifying, they should be forced to do it in a John Travolta voice from Greece is all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. I mean, just very quickly interrupt the, the world's electrifying. It's like, it's electrifying. <laughs> oh, you nice. Can't, you can't that one you've, you've got to throw a bit of John Travolta in there. <laughs> from now show. on, I will. From now on. Yeah, all right. Promise, promise. But, right. But, Sorry, mate. It was, that was a horrible, the unnecessary interruption that I had to say. Go on. Uh, showing your age there too, a little bit. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. But, but um, you... you you have this so there's so there's there's one point to it i mm. i what's going to happen here what is every lithium producer and exploration company doing right now they're developing mm-hmm. what's that going yeah. to do that is going to bring much more supply yeah, exactly. onto the market <laughs> what's that yeah. going to do remember your, remember your high school economics supply and demand curves you know yes. it's going to lower the price so the the price signal massively important mm-hmm. to the way the economy functions prices yeah. go up the, the natural response to that is to increase supply. Rare earths are not rare. The, the name comes from the fact that they were rarely mined back in the day. Uh, lithium is- <laughs> Mineral look, sands, though, are cool before they decided to change true. them to make it sound sexier. Yeah. Have a look at the periodic table. Uh, lithium's mm. like, like one of the most abundant elements in the universe, and it's all throughout the crust. There's plenty of it in the ocean. It's just everywhere. It's, we just don't have it yet in a, in a readily available form. That will change, I think. Mm. I'm pretty mm. confident that that will change. And there'll be some that do incredibly well that manage to make hay while the sun shines and that manage to land up with a really good cost advantage because they can just they can extract it at much much lower prices while the rest will sort of go bankrupt and the rest of it but it is wow that is a hard game and the other part of it that's that's tough is that just to get to that point where you finally finally got something that you can actually sell on the open market um, you, you've you have had to sink tens and if not hundreds of millions of dollars in developing the mine probably takes five to ten years to sort of get get going. And then what's the price like? I don't know. I mean, what's what's the price of iron ore going to be in six months' time? I couldn't tell you. What's it going oh, to be in six years' oh. time? No clue. No clue whatsoever. And 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 so this is the challenge of these very, very capital intensive industries that sell commodities. Now the point that I think is interesting here, and this is why it's so alluring, is that I'm, I've made the point before, but whenever you look over and you ask you ask yourself what has been the best performing stock over the last three, five, ten years? Pick your time frame. Without a doubt, it's always a mining company. It is, and 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 not just what was the return. It was like ten thousand percent. It was insane, insane, <laughs> insane yeah. returns because it went from 0.3 cents to two dollars eighty. I mean, and and the percentage gains are just mind blowing at that stage. The other the other thing you've got to contrast that against is when you look at the all in all resources index so this is the all odds that just looks at the extraction companies it is always lagging you know over any material time frame it always lags the all industrials index um, uh, on average it's very bad so what you have as a distribution is you have a few ones that just everything goes right and they make squillions but they the, statistically they're the exception to the rule so I know a couple of investors, we've got, got a few of them on Strawman who are really great at this stuff. They just, they know their stuff. They, they've got an engineering background. They understand the, the, the economics and, and then they do, mm. they do reasonably well at it. But unless you've got some kind of edge here, I just don't, I don't know how you pick the one out of 500 that's going to be the really great performer. It, it's too hard. Now, every, every, the, the usual 
counter to that is, is well, every investment is going to have to make you're going to have to make some guess to the future. But there mm-hmm. are there are there you can jump over a you know hurdle over a ten foot bar, or you can step over a one foot bar. I don't know about you, but I'm reasonably confident that Apple will be selling some kind of hardware device in ten years time. Like pretty confident, and I'm pretty confident that it'll probably be one of the leading hardware manufacturers in the world. Now, I could be wrong. Again, every investor is, is smart until they're not, and, and, and mm. plenty of things are great. You know, Blockbuster <laughs> was great at one stage, right? Yeah. Um, but, but, but in terms of making a bet on the future, I'd rather make that bet than XYZ Speculative Explorer being the one that yeah. A, finds the good resource, B, develops the good resource, C, manages to be a low-cost producer at maturity, um, and and then, by the way, what happens if they are that? What do they do with the money that they eventually make? They don't give it back to shareholders because the second that you dig a ton of that stuff out of the ground, your asset is worth, a, well, one ton's less. So you take that money and you reinvest it into the next uh, apparatus or the next, the next uh, endeavor. Um, and so it, it's... It, you do you is always is always the the response and pe- different investors can approach it in a thousand different ways and they can all do do well via via a variety of approaches but for me i know my weaknesses i know my limitations i know my circle of competence and it's not there and i don't have to be an expert at everything in fact as i've said before most things i throw in the too hard bin i'm just not smart enough but there's a couple areas i feel as though i, I know enough get myself out of trouble and i just i just fish in that pond it's because it's just higher higher probability stuff long answer sorry that's mate. a really no it's a, i was gonna say it's a very thorough answer mate. I'm, I'm trying to work out what to add um so tim a couple of things um it's very it's often difficult to i'm talking about both sides of my mouth here nri stock pickers which means we look in an area where lots of companies will do moderately to very badly and try and find the winners. And that applies in every facet of the market. Whether we're looking at Andrew's B2B companies talked about or retailers that I like or everything in between, uh, there are some terrible retailers or some great retailers, some terrible B2B companies, some great ones. There are some terrible miners and probably some great ones. And so it's really difficult, mate. On one hand, I want to say, to Andrew's point, the challenge of a industry that is just generally crappy when it comes to the economics, for those reasons Andrew has very nicely and already very thoroughly pointed out, it's you're, you're swimming uphill, mm. if that's not a oxymoron, <laughs> it probably is. You're uh, pushing you're something pushing uphill. <laughs> you're swimming against the tide. Yeah. The tides and hills, and you know, it's all the same thing, really. Uh, potato, potato. Uh, but, so, so there's that, right? On the flip side, I've said before in this podcast, like a couple of months ago, uh, I look at BHP success over the last 20 years and go, well... You know, it's not, a, it's not a flash in the pan. It's not a fluke. BHP has done extraordinarily well for a long period of time now. At some point, I might look at myself and say, hey, I've missed a trick. So am I, am I sorry I didn't miss the 10,000% gain that Andrew talked about? No, because that's just like, like, you know, whatever, make stuff up, right? At some point, that's just silly. Am I disappointed missing BHP? I've got to say at the moment, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Potentially, yeah. If I've let a, 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 a blanket statement of resources suck, therefore I don't buy them, help me miss out on the or lead me to miss out on meaningful money for a business that arguably I could have understood let me get back to that um, then yeah I may well regret it I, I'm not I haven't finished this conversation I think by the way investment conversations even with yourself I never end you're always trying to improve your process and work out where your your failings are um, now a couple of things to Andrew's point I know a lot of companies better than I know miners 
And an hour spent researching those is probably better spent than an hour trying to understand the um, the, the depths of you know resource uh, availability and uh, conversion costs and and percentages and uh, you know that kind of stuff and then all you know work out those that, that's hard hard work it's learning a brand new industry which is entirely unrelated to almost anything else is really difficult so is it worth me spending the time in doing that well if there's money to be spent or to be gained yeah absolutely if there's not well maybe not so there's that. Um, so, you know, I think there's some value there. The other thing to Andrew's point is we're looking backwards and saying that did well, therefore should I have bought it? It's a different question to was I wrong at the time to say I'm not sure, so I'm not going to buy it. And that's the other thing when you talk about, you know, you ask the question about the do we regret it? I think everything you miss in hindsight is a regret. Mm-hmm. By definition, would I, would I like more money? Yes. Would I have liked to pick last Monday's lottery numbers? Yes. Yeah. Do I regret not choosing different numbers? Sure. Uh, and I don't mean to be flippant. It's not your question. It's a very good question. It's a very serious question. But I guess I'm making the point that I'm, if I regret everything I miss, including mining, but everything else as well, you know, do I regret not selling Kogan at $25? You bet. Drink, own shares, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, by the way, Kogan's up about 40% in the last six months. Just hey. let me mention that in passing. Uh, another hashtag, I will break. Um, I, I'm down miles, don't, don't get me wrong. So do I regret that? Yes. Do I regret not buying it at $3 selling at $25? Of course I do. Could I have known in, in, in advance or in hindsight? I don't know. That's a question I've got to ask myself. And the same for BHP. Um, the problem is that, to Andrew's point, you have to, you don't have to do anything. The results of BHP are going to depend almost entirely on the commodity price. That's literally it, right? Now, are other business cyclical? Yeah, sure. Uh, car dealers are cyclical. Uh, does it make them bad businesses? Not in and of itself. They might be good business, they might be bad businesses, but we, they're bloody cyclical, right? Mm. Do I think more cars will be sold in 10 years than today? Yeah, probably. <laughs> now, maybe EVs and Ubers and other things, but you know, do I think so? Yeah. Um, is it a good business? Yeah, generally. Again, might be disrupted by Tesla's, you know, direct-to-use direct to sales model, so maybe not. But you can kind of get your head around that. You don't have to work out whether the price of the car will be 100 grand, 50 grand, or 20 grand to, to add that to the equation of those uncertainties with the cars I just talked about. Now look at BHP, or worse, a coal miner who may or may not be impacted by climate change legislation, and say, what will the coal price be? If it's half the current price, you've got to pay one price for the shares. If it's a quarter, you're paying a different price. If it's double, you're paying a different price. Which one's the right price? Mm. Which is most... And, and even if I have an opinion about the likelihood of the future, do I have a reasonable basis for that? I've, I've said often before, you have to... I've, when I talk about commodities, like you've got to have a view on the future of the oil price to buy an oil, oil driller, for example. And someone will say, oh, no, no, I, I, I do have a view. I think it's going to be 100 bucks. And so I've, I've changed my view, which is you have to have a, have a view based on a reasonably provable set of assumptions. Right, and can you can you do that? No, of course. By literally, by definition, you can't do that. You mentioned lithium, Andrew. Um, I've done some work on this. The oil price went up about two and a half fold in real terms after inflation mm. over the twentieth century, roughly. Um, there wasn't any oil um, drilled at the beginning of the twentieth century, so it's not exactly a century of data. But you mm. know, from from the first you know guys are in in West Texas through to you know today, two and a half. The, the number of the amount of consumption was in single barrels a day now is in millions of barrels a day. And the price up only two and a half fold. <laughs> Why? For the exact reason you said, mate, which is people find more supply. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, do I, do I regret not having perfect foresight? Yeah. Um, do I think I should do, keep doing more work on BHP? Yeah, actually I do, because it might be that if you can find the lowest cost producer, <coughs> excuse me, they have a, you know, there might be a subset of resource companies that are worth buying, for example. I'm not, I'm not convinced I'm, I know the answer to that yet, Tim. So it's a really good question. Um, but it, it is the uncertainty of the price they're going to get in the future, which is almost almost entirely 
the reason I don't buy them. Mm. <laughs> See, I got a cough though. I will say I own Fortescue, so let me be really clear. I bought them uh, at a much lower iron ore price, a much lower share price. Uh, if I was going to buy resources, I've said before, I buy them when the the share price and the commodity price are at lows, just because on the range of returns, the lower the commodity price, the greater the chance that a future price is higher. And so probabilistically, a bit like PEs, right? If you buy a PE of eight, the more, more, more times you buy a PE of eight rather than a PE of 40, you're probably going to make money. Not with every company, not every time, but overall, uh, that and the Fortescue Future Industry stuff Twiggy's doing were the reasons I bought that. It's a very, very small position. It's up a bit since I bought it, which I'm happy with, but um, I've never recommended it to our members because I didn't have sufficient certainty or comfort. It might have gone completely the other way. I could be down 40% as we speak right now, and I would have gone, eh, shouldn't have done it. That was stupid. So it wasn't, it wasn't a high conviction idea for exactly the reason I've just outlined. Um, I, I just, I'll, I'll preempt a, a counter to this, which would be, well, I'll just buy, I'll just buy an ETF. I'm, I'm, I'm keen on lithium. Let's stick, yeah. pick on that. So I'll just buy an ETF yeah. that's focused on lithium. But, it, but again, I mean, I, can just, I just yep. Googled it before. Show me all the ASX stocks that have lithium here. And top one over the last 12 months was, uh, never heard of it, Latin Resources up 280%. You know, it's pretty good. Next one up 192%, mm. staggering mm. gains. But then yep. you don't have to go down too far on the list. And then you're very quickly getting to down 90%, down 80%, down 80%. Mm. It's just like the 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 spread of, of um, returns are so skewed towards the negative that even when you get the inevitable multi-bagger and like someone winning the lottery every week, it doesn't mean it's a, it, it, it's a good bet. So I just, I would bear that in mind. And, and, and just I'll, I'll touch on Rich's point from the start of the pod. He said, oh, what if you were to go back in time and look at, look at things that way? And uh, just while you were talking, I went to the worst performers uh, ASX announcements. I went back a year and I opened up their presentation. And wow, you know, EVs are taking <laughs> over the world and this and that. And look at this. We've just, we just did a drill core that has this much, you know, lithium. I'm not going to mention the company by name. It's, it's not fair. But, but, you know, it's just like there was every reason you could just see the narrative that they were that they were painting there and it was super exciting but it just sort of like well history has shown that you you lost you know 90% of your money in that investment despite every everything that that they said so it's just something to be aware of and if i can just uh, be very quick here so even if you want to take something like bhp which you know a proud australian company yada 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 between 2014 and 2020 uh, so earnings did nothing you know, so, right. <laughs> so even even the big ones that are profitable don't. They do have long periods of underperformance. It's just, I mean, investing is hard. Investing, no one will tell you this, and you just, I'll happily tell. <laughs> investing is hard. If any, yeah. if it was that yeah. easy, we'd all be Warren Buffett, right? It's super, super, mm. super hard. And yet mm. here you have one of the preeminent global producers, easily one of Australia's big sort of success stories, and it went sideways. Yeah. In fact, between two thousand and Seven and 2016, it went from 36 bucks a share to 14 bucks a share. You know, between 1992 and, and 1999, it went sideways. It's a long, long, long period. So, yeah, it's all good and well to say I'm a long-term investor, but they're, you know, <laughs> it's just it's a hard game. And I, I like I'm a I'm a simple man. I like to keep things simple. And it's too hard for me. I think that's I think that's it. I think it's a very a very good point. And uh, mate, speaking of uh, keeping things simple, we're going to simply finish up this podcast if you do want to have your question answered uh, hit us up on all of the usual socials or email email us info info at fool.com.au pretty simple or on the socials andrew is on twitter exclusively at sage underscore simeon or at straw man invest 
You can get me on Twitter or Insta at TMFScottP or The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. And you can get me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips money. Uh, please do send us your questions, your comments. And if you wouldn't mind, if you haven't already, and particularly if you're using an Apple device, if you would leave us a review and a rating on the App Store, we'd really, really appreciate the, the podcast store. Uh, five stars would be wonderful. Even if you think we're worth four, please give us five. Not because we're worth it, just because that's the way these things work. Anything less than five is a fail in most people's eyes these days because... The uberization of these things has just done that. So what you're saying is give, so, it, give us a five or keep it to yourself is what you're saying. There you go, Andrew. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. Uh, but yeah, if you, like, if, you, if you wouldn't mind, if you're enjoying the pod, if you've made it to the end of it, I figure you probably are. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, that'd be really appreciated. Um, look, we get nothing directly from it. Um, it's good to find help find more listeners. It's good for our ego. Um, and it keeps us kind of on the top of the top of the pops when it comes to the way they rank these things. So again, if you could, that'd be spectacularly great. All right, that's it from us. We will see you next Friday. All that's left is to say, full on. See you next week. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.